It's a uh, Wednesday, and uh, the uh, program is uh, set to commence. Yours truly, Bob McCown, along with John Shannon. Robert? From afar. Um, we are going to uh, discuss, discuss footy today. What? What? Yeah, Hold exactly. On. This may be the first time that I've actually done a show. I mean, I've done a few shows where we've talked about soccer, but... Um, not as an item, as a lead, as a uh, the big news, but it is the big news. And so um, uh, we're going to get to that. Our friend uh, James well, Sherman we, will uh, join us in a little bit. We better talk about it quick because it's changing every hour. <laughs> sure is. Um, and we'll get to that too. I, I did want to take a couple minutes off the top to um, address the, the woes of the Toronto Maple Leafs who have now dropped five straight games, one of which was a tie, so they got a point for that. They got but, two points, actually, that way, Bob. So. I'm sorry? They, they got another tie they lost in overtime? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But they have not won in five. Correct. And this is the kind of stumble that you would not expect from a team that is supposed to be as good as the Toronto Maple Leafs, which raises the question in my mind, have people, and maybe including you and I, me getting sucked along, overrated this team? Is this still a flawed team? Or is this nothing more than about goaltending? Well, wouldn't that be the ultimate flaw in the end? I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, uh, you know, Freddie Anderson going down the way he went down and now on long-term injured reserve. Uh, Michael Hutchinson, who has, you know, a typical journeyman's resume, uh, David Riddick, Jack Campbell, um, you know, right now, if you, if you looked at this roster and looked at instability, you'd really have to look at the goaltending position because this team can still score, skate. It can do lots of, lots of stuff. With, with the with the defensemen and the forwards, but you know you have to stop the puck. Well, I get that, but you're coming off a, a six goal game, one of which was in the uh, empty basket. But this team really hasn't scored enough. This is supposed to be an offensive juggernaut, and and you've really got one guy who is scoring at an extraordinary level, and we know who that is. It's Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could argue with you that you're not getting enough contribution from secondary pieces offensively. And this has sort of turned into a one-line offensive machine. And even the second line is not scoring with enough regularity, in my opinion. Because you, you, you could have made the argument a year ago that the second line was virtually as good as the first line. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. Because prior to the five games, which coincided with the trade deadline as well, Bob, um, the second line, which was William Nylander, John Tavares, and Alex Galchenyuk, was playing as good as that first line. And in fact, I would tell you that John Tavares was playing his best hockey as a member of the Maple Leafs because of the chemistry he had with the other two guys. Um, the, the one thing that jumps out at me right now um, is the guy that you think is scoring all the goals, and that's Austin Matthews. Uh, I don't think Matthews is 100%. Uh, I, I think that wrist issue is still bothering him. You know, we, we made, lots of people made light of it that uh, prior to... Uh, the deadline, he didn't play on a Thursday night. Um, he confided in, in the media on the Monday or Tuesday that he took the night out because his wrist was bothering him. 
Um, and, uh, and, and, and Bob, as, as a pro a former pro golfer, you know, you know, that if in a sport like hockey sport, like golf, if your wrists are bothering you, they don't heal quickly. Uh, and, but I'm and not I here. That, you I, see, I, you're I missing the that point. that's one of the problems. I know, but you're missing the point. I, I'm not here to blame Matthews. Matthews is playing very well. I'm not well blaming him. I'm just I'm stating a reality. But I don't think that changes. If he's 100%, I don't think the drop-off is significant. Um, I think this team might not be as good as the sum of its parts. Well, but let me ask you this. Um, you know, has Joe Thornton hit the wall? Uh, well, he has, has contributed Spezza, very little. Has Jason Spezza uh, slowed down a bit? Yes. Where is Wayne Simmons in all of this? Negligible. Uh, it, 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 you know, so, uh, you know, the troops are on the way uh, in, in, a, in a small sense. Nick Foligno uh, will, will fly on, on today, Wednesday, uh, via private plane to Winnipeg to join the club. Whether he plays Thursday night in Winnipeg is still up for debate. Mind you, with Zach Hyman out of the lineup, maybe it does make sense for uh, Felino to be plugged into that first line with uh, Matthews and Marner. Um, Zach Bogosian took an awful spill yesterday. I'd be shocked if he's ready to play in Winnipeg uh, by Thursday. So that means, does that mean Ben Hutton, who uh, is coming out of quarantine, they acquired from Anaheim? Does that mean he joins the lineup? There, this, there's, no, there's no question, Bob, the, your uh, initial premise about is this team flawed? I think one person knew that from the beginning, and that's Kyle Dubas. And I think that's why he was so active at the trade deadline is because he saw uh, from a very, very close distance, he saw some of those flaws and, and is trying to shore up those flaws. Well, the notion that the Toronto Maple Leafs are legitimately in the Stanley Cup championship hunt um, does not look very realistic at this moment. And I know that can change. That can change well, overnight. You know, the, the, listen, it, it, right now, if you told me that uh, uh, of the three quality teams, the, the best teams in Canada, Edmonton, Winnipeg, or Toronto, any three of them came out of the second round and played in the semifinals, it wouldn't surprise me. It, it, there's there's nothing that says I mean, on this is an on any given day scenario. Edmonton can beat Toronto. Toronto can beat Edmonton. Both of them can beat Winnipeg, and Winnipeg can beat either team. Well, there's there, that's that, and, and to be able to survive uh, the first two rounds in Canada will be an unbelievable challenge because it's going to be physical, brutal hockey. Uh, I get that, but the notion that the Toronto Maple Leafs or all three of these teams might be as good as Vegas, Colorado, Tampa, Florida, mm -hmm. um, who knows who else M might not be true. Um, I don't think really good teams um, lose five in a row and um, injuries. Yes, are a part of it, but we yeah. don't know. When Anderson is coming back, we aren't even 100% sure Anderson is coming back. And even if he does, he has what all he has demonstrated since he came to the Maple Leafs is that he is not as good a playoff goaltender as he is a regular season goaltender. No, so, he is he, he is skating. He is skating. But here's the thing. This this is not necessarily about his health more than it is about, you know, cap management. I'm not sure he can come back before the end of the season. 
because of uh, because of the cap situation. The ca- the cap situation. And I, then I what? Mean, Are I, you going to put him in in the playoffs with uh, having not played for two months? That's that's a great question. Good question. Right, right now the answer is I I wouldn't do that. I would I would I would hope that Jack Campbell, um, who who let's face it is is fragile, uh, after going eleven straight uh, wins, has three straight losses, and um, is you know publicly announcing that he's got some some doubts about his game, which is. Not really very healthy for a goaltender. Um, yesterday, yesterday morning, it looked like the soccer world was going to get turned uh, upside down. Uh, now it appears it's uh, back to uh, right side up. <laughs> but there are all kinds of issues regarding this apparently failed concept of a Super League. And uh, nobody better to uh, talk about it than uh, our friend James Sharman, who will join us momentarily when the program continues after these messages. It's McCown, it's uh, Shannon on the uh, program, and um, our guest today needs no introduction. If you uh, watched Primetime Sports, if you uh, watched uh, Sportsnet for um, numerous years, uh, he was uh, our soccer guy, and uh, James Sharman joins us now. Sharman, you look beautiful. Everything okay? Everything's great. Thanks, fellas. Uh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. Well, um, this concept of a super league kind of well you know me Sharman. you're gonna you're gonna talk about the super league before you're gonna talk about meat pies we're gonna get to the meat pies later okay i'm a a little peckish yeah i know you are that's not a that's not a big surprise (laughs) we we can help you out every day every minute occurrence with you shannon (laughs) um okay go ahead with the super league so from my perspective, this idea just kind of fell out of the sky. It, uh, no anticipation it was coming. It just, boom. Did you know? Was this ha- Had this been talked about for some extended period of time? Yeah, you know what, guys? I've been covering this sport, obviously, for about two decades. It's always been in the background, on the back burner. It's been used in the past as, as a threat for leverage for these clubs to get more, more power, more money from UEFA. Um, so... You know, as shocking as it was when it dropped on on Sunday, it wasn't that surprising if you look back in the previous number of years. Now, it's gathered steam in in the last year or so, but no one expected it to come out on Sunday when it did. Not even the players, not even the managers of the club. So um, in in that regard, it was was shocking. But overall, I mean, this has been something that the the big boys who are always looking for, you know, a better way to create revenues um, has always been there and it's been threatened in the past. The list of clubs initially involved. Now, there were a dozen, correct? Yeah, 12 clubs, uh, three to be named later. So they were going to go to 15. Why? Well, 20 in all. The, oh, the plan was, uh, yeah, that they actually, the, the carrot they offered the rest of the football world was, we'll give you five spots a year um, if you qualify for it. But the, the 15 foundation members would be guaranteed a position in that tournament. And the concept behind, or I guess we should mention the clubs, um, six uh, English clubs, um, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City, Man U, and Liverpool. And then Juventus, Real Madrid, AC Milan, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, and Inter Milan were the, the 12. Not shockingly, you could make the argument that, I don't know whether these are the 12 richest clubs in the world, but they're they're in the top what 15 yeah yeah i mean i'd say they are they are the richest clubs with the exception of paris saint-germain and bayern munich who who were mm. 
conspicuous in, in their silence. Um, I think waiting to see what the reaction might be. But those two clubs and the, the, the previous 12 you mentioned there, for sure, the biggest, the richest, and the, the most affluent in, in world football. And we should note now that the, at least for, for sure, the six premier teams have opted out already. There, there's they, three teams left fresh. now, John. Right now, yeah. as, we, as we record this, there's three teams left for a little mini league. So I believe it's uh, Real Madrid and their president, mm-hmm. Florentino Perez, was the president of this league. Uh, Juventus, um, Andrea Agnelli, their chairman, what was really the, the driving force behind this. And I believe, I believe Barcelona are still there, but they're all going to drop out momentarily. Well, so let me ask you this, though. The, the thing that I looked at, particularly with the, uh, the British teams, uh, was a lot of American ownership. Yep. You know, the Glazer family, the Cronkies, uh, you know, uh, John Henry in Bo- out of Boston. What, what, what do you think that what factor was in all of this? Massive, massive. The driving force, you know, I mentioned Nagnelli at Juventus, owned by Americans. Um, and it was John Henry at Liverpool. It was the Glazers. The American ownership was a driving force. Um, they want cost certainty. They want the franchise model, you know, of North American sports, which, which works, you know, very well over here, but that's not the sporting culture beyond these borders. So mm-hmm. they thought they could come in here and guarantee cost certainty, increase their revenues. Uh, they wouldn't have to answer to the mighty UEFA or FIFA, do it their own way, but they really just misjudged the room. Simple as that, that they, they didn't know what they were you know, going to come up against. And that was hundred years of history of, of very opinionated football people. For the purpose of clarity, if they formed this Super League, what were they going to opt out of? So essentially, they would replace the Champions League, which is governed by UEFA. Now, the way it was communicated was they could still play in the domestic leagues. That would be okay. Um, this would be a midweek tournament. So right. basically, it's replacing the, the Champions League, which makes them lots of money but nothing like this. And of course you have to qualify for the Champions League each year. Top four teams qualify. So, you know, you can't guarantee each year you're going to make it. So that was the one. Um, And then, you know, UEFA came out very early on and said, listen, if this goes ahead, we will ban all those players, all those teams from all our competitions, which includes European championships, includes potentially World Cups as well. So they came out guns a blazing when UEFA found Mm -hmm. out about this. But that was essentially it. Um, The Champions League, the, the biggest moneymaker in in world sport i am pretty sure world sport um was going to be the, the, the victim here as well as all the other teams that rely on these big names these big teams to do, generate revenues for their leagues so the intr- maybe the most intriguing part of this over the last 24 hours or more than that 48 hours i guess since we heard about this and started to digest it was the reaction of many fans of teams that were proposing to go into this. Mm-hmm. And I understand if I'm at some team, some British, Italian, Spanish team that rarely makes it to the, um, the top echelon, that is um, undersized, is poor by comparison, really only is flipping a coin at the beginning of a season and hoping that that, you know, rarity of getting near the top will, will take place. If I'm one of those teams, of course, I don't like this idea. I don't like the idea of the rich getting richer. Um, 
But you saw a lot. We saw a lot of the fans of Chelsea and Arsenal and and the other teams that were going to go in. Yeah, exactly. Objecting to this. I find this extraordinary and puzzling. I don't understand why. If you're a fan, if you're a fan, don't you want your side to play against the, the other biggest sides in the world? Well, you, you think so, right? But that's, that is, it is fascinating because that was, I guess, what they were banking on. Fans want to see Real Madrid play Juventus every other week as opposed to, you know, Man U against Stoke or West Bromwich Albion, mm. right? With but due I respect, what, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I think what they misjudged was the, 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 the deep love of the football pyramid and, and how you have that opportunity, even as, as a, I'm a Liverpool fan, for example. But I love the fact that any team in English football has the potential, it probably wouldn't happen, but have the potential to rise to become elite and become the best. That, that, that romanticism in, in, in British sports. But um, it's not real. You, you acknowledge it's, no, no, it, but every now and again, you'll get that, you know, story. Well, sure. you, a Leicester, for example. Now, they're not right, tiny. They're, sure. they're a pretty good-sized club, obviously, right? They, they can win it. It's very rare. You're right. It is really a closed shop. But I think from a financial standpoint, this tournament means far more travel for the fans. It means, obviously, far greater ticket prices eventually, TV deals, you know. So, in the end, the fan would be paying for this. Simple it, as that. And I think they yeah, realize that. i tell you what, though. It, the lore of relegation and the lore of being elevated that's part of the magic of it is, the game 100 it is yeah and and, 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 and and traditional fans traditional fans the guy that goes to his the pub at noon for the three o'clock game this is a lifestyle this is not just a sport this is a lifestyle it is. And as much as it's perhaps the most, the most tribal of sports, you love your team, as much as that, they also love the sport itself. Mm. You know, that a Man U fan won't just watch Man United. They're going to watch Stoke in a relegation battle against, you know, Brighton. You know, they want to watch that because every game is meaningful or close to meaningful throughout the entire season. So I think, and part of it, let's be honest, part of it is a distrust of billionaires, right? This is, this is Europe, this is UK in particular, they don't like people who are successful. They, they, they don't trust them. So they want to hammer them. Any opportunity to come down and hammer them, there you, there you are. United fans have despised their ownership for, for years, the Glazers. They're mm. quiet. They're anonymous. They've used it as their own personal cash box. They've despised them. Now they've got a real reason to jump on them. So I think that's part of what it was as well. Well, I mean, and, I mean, all of the American owners have never been accepted. I mean... Bob, your old buddy, George Gillette, how long did he last? Yeah, well, that's really interesting, actually, because John Henry of Fenway Sports Group, Boston Red Sox, owns Liverpool, bought it from Hicks and Gillette um, in right. 2010 for 300 million, I think it was, pounds. It's now worth 3 billion, right? So the fans have actually really embraced John Henry because he brought in Jurgen Klopp. He brought in mm. some, some you know, very well-known figures from Liverpool within the club itself. He fixed a stand, built a new training ground. They loved him until Sunday. And then Sunday <laughs> hits and bam, nope, sorry, you, we've turned on you, mate. How dare you, you know, try and buy our sport? And that's, that's the mentality. Hey, James, how much, how much background had been done by these guys? When, when you talk about where the revenue is coming from, by far the biggest number would have come from television. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that they had a TV deal? Was there a TV deal in place? Had they, had they done that? It's, it's funny because the, the zones and the Sky Sports really straight away 
distance themselves from this whole thing saying we are yet to discuss this because they they knew what would happen i'm sure there's conversations with the streaming companies the netflixes of the world amazons that makes more sense to me they had to make money somehow right now i know jp morgan was a bank that is financing this off the top um i'm just completely stunned that they crumbled so quickly and that they are surprised by this these are not stupid men not stupid people these are successful intelligent human beings who completely misread the room entirely so um, from a TV standpoint, I'm, I'm not surprised that the various networks kept quiet because although I'm sure there were conversations, they don't want to be tarnished with this either. Let's be it clear. Is- JP Morgan finances most sports in most countries on every continent. Right. JP Morgan has its tentacles everywhere in professional sports. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk, James, about your shock, maybe not shock, but at least surprise that these guys didn't read the room. The shocking thing to me is that it's not shocking that that one guy, even two, might misread the atmosphere, but that a dozen collectively mm-hmm. um, were 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 so fragile in their commitment that it took literally minutes for them to reverse a decision that they'd already made. It puzzles me to the point of wondering whether there is a phase two to this. I'm not sure they're that dumb. Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe they would make this critical a mistake and then roll over on their stomachs the, the minute there was any opposition to it and do so collectively. It's I, like I, they knew this was going to happen and they planned this and there is no. something to come next. But what do you the think? PR, the PR is so negative. I mean, these guys are thick skinned, right? They can now hide away in, in their in their mansions, in their office sure. buildings, and in, in in the states, wherever it's going to be in in, in Abu Dhabi. You know, mm-hmm. not in England, that's for sure. They can hide from this now, for sure. You're right. Now, I I do wonder. I mean, it has been used in the past this threat as leverage with UEFA, right? There's been big reforms announced this week to the Champions League, which will help these clubs. I I'm a bit like you. I, I do wonder. If UEFA got in their ear, or perhaps it was planned this way, that, listen, we're going to open up the Champions League further. We're going to guarantee you spots eventually. Uh, and, and this maybe, you know, the, the negotiations came to a point where they got to play hardball. And for some bad PR, they'll suck it up. If it means that in 2024-25, the next cycle of European football, maybe they mm-hmm. will get more than, than they hoped for in the past. So it's definitely possible. But I just look at the, the outrage against these clubs right now these owners i mean uh, i don't think they foresaw it being quite this much of a backlash so uh, now do you expect these teams to get sanctions i would be surprised honestly i think at this point you know the premier league need them simple as that they are they're they're the driving commercial forces for the syria for la liga especially and the premier league so i think they might get a slap on the wrist but the fact that they pulled out now and now, you know, the statements are coming out. John Henry had a heartfelt apology last night saying, we made a mistake. It's all on me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think that the world football will hope it just goes away now. Um, because prior to that, UEFA were, you know, we're you know, threatening the, the worst of the worst. And that is we're banning everyone from every competition. No World Cups anymore. No Euros. And that, I think, yeah. empowered the players too. And as much as the fans were a big part of this, I think that the players and the coaches got together um, and finally show some solidarity, which, you know, they haven't really shown in the past and, and said, we're not going to take it. We don't like it. And, and we're going to refuse to play in it. So, so you, you wouldn't see 
the the twelve get sanctions for Champions League at all? I, I can't see it. They they need them. Simple as that, oh. you know. And, and I'm sure I'm sure when they this wasn't. I, I'm sure when they backed down, it didn't surprise you, Wafer. Sefran, that their president, was so he was just beside himself, you know, in passion, in passion comments and threats, saying, "If you don't come back and, and give this up, we will do this." Well, they did give it up. They did collapse. So I guess they they acquiesced to his wishes. You know, the the the, the, uh, the interesting thing for me is that that we've all maybe more from those of us on the outside that don't know as much. Um, we all know the corruption that has existed in the game at so many levels with FIFA, maybe to a lesser extent with UEFA at, at, at a point. Uh, and there might've been a lot of saying, Hey, they finally got their due. The, you know, the, the, the big, the big boys have finally pushed back, but in the end, the governing bodies maintained their power. And now might I suggest are even more emboldened to maintain their power? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, this this thing, like I said, has been rumored for so many years. It was always there as a, as a possibility to take down UEFA and FIFA. Well, they, they tried it and they failed, didn't they? So mm. I, I think it probably has emboldened UEFA. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating situation. Um, you know, what I found really interesting was, you know, Man City um, owned by Middle Eastern, um, you know, trillionaires, um, PSG in particular, owned by Qatari trillionaires, and, and they're the World Cup in next year, right? So PSG, very quiet on the sidelines, mm. not getting involved in this. So they are politicizing it, I think, from, from day one as well. Um, there, there's so many different layers to this. But uh, at this point, UEFA is feeling pretty good about themselves, but they shouldn't come out as being the, the knight in shining armor here. This, this is UEFA, you're right. They've got a history, right? They're, they're not great guys either. As much as they're a lot cleaner now than perhaps they once were, there's um you know let's just take a bit of a breath here and say listen there's, there's more than just 12 bad guys here you know right. this is an environment created by by this this football machine the, uh, the bundesliga looks okay out of this they they do yeah by munich they're, they're like saying thank god for that right at this at the same time it's, it's more difficult for them right because german clubs um there's there's law in the country that they must be owned 51 percent of each club by fans Right. So they get a, a, a spot at the table. They can't, they couldn't commit to the Champions League, for sorry, sorry, to the uh, Super League, for example, without putting it through by the fans first, which is probably why they sat very quiet. And that might be the legacy from this. You know, um, I know Boris Johnson, uh, Great Britain's famous leader. Infamous I was going to mention him. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's hinted that maybe that's a model that English football should look at, getting fans more involved, 51% of each club owned by fans. So maybe that's what, had, what comes out of this. Well, the British Prime Minister was very vocal um, in responding to this notion of a Super League and basically threatened them with whatever he can threaten them with. And I find that so interesting because I can't wow. imagine the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of Canada jumping in and saying something about Major League Baseball or the National Hockey League in a sort of a comparable situation. John's going to try and disagree with me. Well, I mean, I, you're seeing the you're seeing Republican senators push back at Major League Baseball's antitrust. You know, they they will they will be involved. They will get involved if they think it will help them politically. And you know, if if four listen, if four NHL teams left Canada, I guarantee you that Justin Trudeau would be involved and say we've got an issue. You know, we well, have to fix it. James, do you, is is that your assessment of Johnson's uh, comments and him jumping in right away? Would you well, think it, it was politically motivated? 
Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, listen, he, he's looking quite good right now for once, right? You know, they've dealt with COVID relatively well. They're opening up. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling there right now. Great chances in PR now to appease the proletariat, right? All those football fans. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. I mean, at the same time, you know, football is like hockey here, but maybe perhaps even more so. It's, it's very much the cultural fabric of the country, right? Um, but listen, this is football's been sold out for for well at least at least thirty years, right? Since the Premier League started, anyway, and it's been pretty quiet until then. But uh, there's a lot of issues with the game in England. But this was definitely a chance for him to come out and say, "Hey, I got your back, people. You know, don't worry, Uncle Boris will take care of you." Um, let's take a break. We're going to come back. James Sharman is uh, with us. We're going to talk about his pie company, but we're also going to. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few other. Um, things to say on the uh, on the sport and nobody better to talk to than mr sharman uh we'll take a quick break back after these messages yours truly bob mccowan along with uh, john shannon and uh, james sharman our uh, our favorite soccer guy um a whole bunch of things um maybe in uh, bullet form how's how's soccer in north america doing hold on hold on hold, hold on we're not going we're not talking about pies yet not yet uh, oh, man. <laughs> Thanks, John. What is that? What is that? I'm starved. Um, you're not gonna. We can talk about it. You won't be able to eat it. You know, not this oh, moment. I got news. I for tell you. you what. I, 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 when we invited James on, I said, you know, we can talk pies and then maybe a bit of soccer, not soccer and a bit of pies. Well, with due respect, this is the way we're going to do it. Oh, because so, oh, you love the sport so much. Well, you know me. <laughs> North American soccer has been around um, uh, a long time now. We, we think of it still in some ways as a, a, a new kind of entity. But hell, um, the effort to integrate the North American population to the sport has existed since the 1960s, really. So we're talking 60 years um, plus. How are they doing? How is North American soccer, or is it fair to even evaluate it given the pandemic? Yeah, it's difficult, obviously. From a, from a, a footballing standpoint, a quality standpoint, it's looking really great. MLS is improving all the time. There's more and more North American players uh, playing for big clubs overseas. You know, obviously we have our own Alfonso Davis Great story, winning trophies at one of the biggest clubs in world football. Yes, so that in that regard, really, really well. As far as you know, the, the following, I, I have my worries. You know, I mean, when when the World Cup was announced um, a few years ago now for 2026, we thought, wow, we're in for this great wave of, of soccer in this country. And then the zone comes along, starts stealing rights away from the the traditional broadcasters. Mm -hmm. Fewer eyeballs are now watching it. I think. Um, even though, you know, DAZN keep those numbers pretty quiet, I, I can't imagine them being greater than they were when, when TSN and Sportsnet broadcast the games. So in that regard, it's, it's a concern. Um, I think the game's growing. Um, MLS, like I said before, you know, the numbers are up and down there. They're not that consistent, but franchise fees keep going up through the roof. So it's, it's still a, a, a big picture situation. It's doing well. We need a World Cup here. It's going to be a big game breaker, I think. But overall, uh, you know, at times it does plateau, I think, a little bit. I think, it's well, I think it's that's well said about DAZN and it's uh, it's worth discussing because I, I, I believe that there are many casual soccer fans in uh, in North America, far more casual soccer fans than probably per capita anywhere else in the world. As you said earlier, people elsewhere are committed to their home side, the team they support, and they'll watch them all the time and then they'll watch other games as well. 
Here, it's a little more loosey-goosey. And with Sportsnet, TSN, ESPN carrying games, NBC has a few, um, you get the opportunity as a casual fan to sample. Um, and that is now gone. And those people are not going to commit to X dollars to watch DAZN. So all you're doing is preaching to the already converted with that. And I think it hurts the growth potential of the sport in North America. Agree or not? I agree 100%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those casual fans who will be just perusing the channels on a Saturday morning and, and catching a, a Premier League game with a brand they know, Manchester United, mm -hmm. uh, Chelsea. I know I don't know much about these players, but I know that brand. They're yeah. going to watch it, right? And, and now you can't get it unless you're paying your, your 20 bucks a month for the zone. So you're really appeasing the already the fans that are there already. What about the future fans? You know, which takes us back to that Super League thing, right? I mean, they didn't care about the, the, the legacy fans. They cared about the, the fans over the next 23 years of this deal. How can they get them? Well, right now in North America, where are those fans? You know, watching MLS, sure. But let's be honest, MLS is great and it's growing in some regards, but people still want to see the best of the best. And you're not finding that in MLS right now. You find that in the Premier League, in the Syria, in La Liga. So it's very difficult. So as far as overall growth, I think you're right. I think it's probably stagnated since, since the, uh, the zone came aboard. Yeah, it, it, sorry, the, sorry, John. The interesting no, the interesting thing about MLS is, um, I think that they found they've they they have found a niche. Um, they aren't part of the big four, but there is a niche. When you think of them going to Austin, Texas, for an expansion team, we're not mm -hmm. talking a major market. We're talking a market that has a little bit of soccer savvy to it, and and they've gone to that secondary level of uh, at times. Uh, and had relative success, and, and, and you know it's it's a different business model than we're used to, but it seems to be working for them. Yeah, you're right, and you know we're seeing franchise fees, you know, grow every year. Um, they're demanding soccer-specific stadiums, so visually it's very appealing compared to when when MLS first started out. You can remember the games, right, with their football markings in the field, terrible sure. visually. It, it's come a long way from there, so they're smart and they've been growing slowly very slowly. Uh, and that's been what's really interesting. But I think 20, was it 27 teams now in, in MLS? That's quite a lot. Pretty close, yeah. Well, I'm intrigued as a soccer fan. I, I mean, I will tell you my perception of it. Um, it. It is obvious to me when I watch an MLS game, the inferiority of the quality of play by comparison to any of the big leagues, certainly the premiership. To watch a premiership game right after you watch an MLS game is like night and day. How do you, as a lifelong soccer guy and a, you know, and a Brit on top of that, how do you watch MLS soccer? Don't you look, can you do anything but look down your nose at it? Hey, I, I watch hours of snooker every week, Bob. So, hey, I'll watch anything. <laughs> well, but um, I don't think you watch bad <laughs> snooker players. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, valid point. Well, uh, no, you know, listen, I, I let's think, talk I about think... darts. You got to watch darts too, Jake. Well, you got the darts. You know, is good. Going to going to watch it live, you know, is is a great experience. Now, wish it was over here because darts is fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really is. But you know what, Bob? I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I, I don't think the gap is quite as great as perhaps you're suggesting there. Um, obviously, Premier League, Syria, that's the the elite. And yes, you know, there is a difference. But the league championship in England, for example, gets good TV numbers, great fan support. That's that's similar to MLS. There's still some sure. very good players coming through here. I think it's changed. You're not seeing so many washed up European stars here now who are clearly over the hill. They're targeting younger players, a lot from Central and South America, 
um, it's becoming a real stepping stone more so than ever before for that next step, which is to top leagues in Europe. So um, I think in that regard, the quality has definitely improved. But you're right, it's, it's not quite the same, but it's ours. You know, we have ownership of this now, finally. Right. We can actually start building um, a, a soccer culture around MLS, around CPL, NESL. You can start doing that, which is, which is a change and it's refreshing. The interesting thing is, is that I, I, I hear what Bob is saying and I can understand that. So much of what makes particularly soccer uh, in the UK so much fun to watch is presentation. It's not the game. It's presentation. Yeah. It's style. It's ambient noise. It's camera angles. It's, you know, the stands. It's the singing. It's... It's the whole event. We, and as much as we, we you know, I mean, you, you, you go to Seattle, you go to Portland, Vancouver, even, even in Toronto, you do hear the crowd sing, but it's different. It's different. It's a, it's a different style. And we're like, we, we, we fall in love with the romance of the game when we watch the Premier League, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it is more manufactured here and certainly at first right. i think now now look at tfc vancouver been around a while right you know um i think the fans now are, are becoming far more sophisticated they are proper football fans but at first yes it was manufactured it seemed a little bit plastic but what else could, could they really do but the, the premier league is the premier league you know i mean this why it's the most successful sports league arguably in the world right you have that <laughs> fervent fan support which honestly isn't always great i mean it's it looks great on tv if you go to a Premier League game, it's not always that great in there. Manchester United have a reputation of being the, the Toronto Maple Leafs of, of professional soccer, right? Big old. Uh, they win. They win a little. They win a little more. They win well, a little more. <laughs> well, that is that is certainly true. Um, but they they've matched the experience. You know, a lot of uh, sports consumers there, not so much fans. You go to the proper football club, so to speak, and it's still very edgy. You know, I, I know. North American sports gets criticized a lot for the fan experience compared to in Europe the way it should be. It's a much more enjoyable experience here because you're not threatened. You won't get your head punched in. You won't get, you know, in this <laughs> exception of some, some, you know, places in the States in the NFL, perhaps you won't be you know, in too much trouble in the stands. If you, if you cheer for the wrong team, the fans are mixed. Um, so, you know, I, I always argue that point when people say it's much better experience over there. It is and it's more passionate, sure, but it's not always more right. enjoyable. Well, to John's point um, about singing, um, for decades, Jerry Lewis used to do a Labor Day telethon on television. <laughs> and at the end of the telethon, he would sing, uh, you'll never walk alone. And, um, <laughs> and you'd break into tears and, um, and whatever. Um, if I never see Liverpool fans sing that very same song again, I'll be fine with it. And I know you're a Liverpoolian. <laughs> but... Um, Hey, come on now, Bobby. You just you gotta say it's it's, it's manufactured homerism um, <laughs> that I'm not buying into. Hey, you, you gotta sit in the cup in Anfield on a, on a big match say. day. It's incredible. I mean, you get goosebumps. I, I don't, I'm as jaded as any fan, but that is pretty special, let me tell you. And it's I been a number of years now. It's been a long time now. I like having anthems for the for various clubs, which really mean nothing. Look at West Ham. I'm forever blowing bubbles. What the hell is that? Right? I got but no it, idea. No, Blue Moon at, at Man City. I think more North American sports needs their anthems, quite frankly. Agreed. Great. Agreed. Pick a hey, song. Okay. Can, can we talk about pies now? Yeah, we can. We, we got a couple <laughs> minutes here. 
We're at okay. that point. So what the heck? You, 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 you're in the meat pie business. You have a store for a while the Danforth. You know what? Once upon a time, if you told me I'd be on, would have been on TV, I would have laughed in your face, said no chance. And, and once upon a time, you told me I had a meat pie company, I'd say you're crazy. Why would I be doing that? But yeah, we, we've been doing it for about four years now, yeah. one way or the other. And the last year, um, we, we've actually finally got our, our stores and our e-commerce site functioning for a subscription service. And uh, it's, been, it's been great. It's been a ton of fun, a big learning curve for my wife and myself. And uh, I'm in the meat pie business. Who knew? <laughs> so what's whose recipe? Yeah. Well, no, we'll forget the recipe. What's the history? How do you, why meat pies? Did, did, did yeah. You... Well, you know what? Honestly, I, I saw the writing on the wall in, in the media world a few years ago now, especially with soccer, the way it was going and thought, man, at some point I'm probably going to lose my job. I need a plan B here. Um, so that kind of really, you know, pushed me to find something. My wife's the entrepreneur. She's the one with the guts and she wanted a product business for years and years and years. So Understand. long story short, my mother-in-law came to stay with us for a, for a few weeks, which turned into a few months, which I'll write a book on one day. Um, anyway, she, she was a big cook. She cooked pies. She sold them at farmer's markets in Alberta. Um, we just took them with her thinking, you know what? There's, there's no good pies around here. I grew up in good pies. Can't find good pies. So she basically taught me how to cook pies. Um, and, and we took it from there. Simple as that from a farmer's market to the website and now to a couple of stores. And uh, it's been, like I said, we didn't expect the growth to be this quick, um, but it's very exciting. And just for clarity, we are talking exclusively like dinner pies, hot pies, correct? Oh, yeah, that's right. Mainly savory. We have got some sweet options too, but basically um, they're, they're frozen pies. We, we deliver to your house through either a subscription service or a la carte. Right now we're across the GTA into York. We have plans to be going province-wide in the next few months. What's the website? shamansproper.ca shamansproper.ca shamansproper pies and uh yes it's it's great you know it allows me to kind of be a little bit picky with potential media opportunities as i stare at my phone um (laughs) (laughs) you know that feels right but uh yeah it's great i really really thoroughly enjoy it and i certainly have um you know ambitions to get back in the media world at some point but uh in the meantime this is great fantastic um well uh i must ask what's your favorite pie or does it change? Okay, so, you know, it's, it's a cliche, right? It's a football-related. It's called the Chicken Balti. It's a chicken curry pie, which is the biggest-selling um, food at British soccer stadiums. Um, has been for, for years now, and it's a pie and a pint. That's what you do. And Chicken Balti, it's, it's very, very good. How many you times make- have you gone to a pub and said, just give me a pie and a pint? Pine a pine, exactly, That's, right? Uh, the last time I, my son and I, we spent a couple, a couple summers back, we spent a long time just walking through London for 17, 18 days. Oh, and wow. by day three, <laughs> by day three, the two o'clock, we're stopping for a pie and a pint. Yep, absolutely, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a way of life there, it really is. And we're trying to reinvent that here now. So you sell you sell single serving pies and then you sell what I think they're called family pies. Yeah. Yeah. Family size pies, which feeds three to four people and the individuals. Um, we just started sausage rolls as well. The last uh, oh couple of weeks, oh, pasties. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can get them hot as well at the store. Um, we have a selection in the stores, but uh, it's ostensibly it's a, it's a B2C, you know, e-commerce business. Fantastic. We wish you well, continued for you. success with it. Thank um, you very much. Now I appreciate the plug. Yeah. And well, happy to do it. We are, uh, Shannon he, was pushing it, the entire show to get it in early. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we could have done the whole show on a 
pies. But um, next time, the, the thing is, James, is that uh, there's a lot of admiration. There, there's a ton of us. Bob's done it uh, a bit, but there's a ton of us that have all these ideas, but don't have the, quite frankly, the balls to do it. Well, um, my wife's a you. very intimidating figure. She terrifies me. So. <laughs> uh, we thank you so much for your time and uh, we look forward to the next opportunity we have to uh, bug you. Anytime, fellas. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. And good Thanks, luck James. Cheers. Uh, James Sharman, back to wrap it in a moment after these messages. Uh, back to wrap it up. McCowan uh, with uh, Shannon again. Our thanks to uh, James Sharman. Uh, now, I know you're extremely disappointed. Your, your efforts to solicit complimentary meat pies from Sharman um, was not reciprocated in the manner that um, you were hopeful of. How, how, how dare you insinuate that I was looking John, for John, I food. know you. You know, you started out by what with the meat pie thing, then in the middle of the of the interview, the meat pie thing, and then at the end, you just went right to the meat pies. And yeah. I know, and 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 expressing how hungry you are, I know exactly that, what you Bob. were fishing for. Now, he has, sausage, he has sausage rolls now too, Bob. I got a little hungry myself, I must confess. There you go. There you now, go. are you a meat well, pie guy? Oh yeah, steak and kidney. Oh really? I, I'm oh, a chicken yeah. pot pie guy. That that's about oh, as far wow. as I'll go. Well, tell you what, it's it's much nicer every once in a while to talk about meat pies than it is the the plight of a National Hockey League team or the plight of billionaires going through uh, a little angst for 48 hours when their fans revolt. So, well, I confess, I, it was a big story, and um, oh uh, yeah. And it is staggering to me that it ended before we could even get to it. I, th and, I think uh, we did a pretty good job. Well, we got to it after it, it ended. Um, but I, <laughs> I would not be surprised if there's something else in this. That these teams got will wind up getting something that they want and they like out of this apparently failed experiment. But we shall see. Uh, I'm sure there's people wondering why they didn't do some market research. Well, maybe they did. Yeah. Um, that'll do it for us. We'll be back again tomorrow if the crick don't rise. Everybody have a good day, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>